0: The America's National Parks Podcast is sponsored by LL Bean. This year, LL Bean is joining up with the National Park Foundation, the official nonprofit partner of the National Park Service, to help you find your happy place in an amazing system of more than 400 national parks, including historic and cultural sites, monuments, preserves, lakeshores, and seashores that dot the American landscape many of which you'll find just a short trip from home. L.L. Bean is proud to be an official partner of the National Park Foundation. Discover your perfect day in a park at findyourpark.com. One of my dreams is to stay in a National Park Lodge. At Christmas, what could be more magical? Grand log-beamed lobbies decked out in real pine trimmings, the crackling of massive stone fireplaces and decadent holiday feasts, while miles away from civilization with the glories of snow-blanketed nature in every direction. In order to quench my thirst for a National Park Christmas, we've put together this episode featuring stories of Christmas at one of the most special places on earth, Yellowstone National Park. We begin with the final Christmas of the 19th century. Let me set the scene. More than 40 years before the creation of the National Park Service, Yellowstone was established. On March 1st, 1872, it was the world's first national park. From then to 1886, the park was administered by the Interior Department and managed by a civilian superintendent with limited resources and almost no legal authority to maintain and protect the park's natural features and wildlife. During that time, special interest groups such as concessionaires and railroad and mining companies attempted to commercialize and privatize the park lands. By 1883, Congress had taken note. They transferred control of the park to the War Department protecting Yellowstone from schemes to commercialize it. Congress then appropriated funds for the establishment of a permanent fort in 1891. Over the next decade, 60 structures were erected at what would be known as Fort Yellowstone, mainly cottage-style wood frame buildings and some colonial revival-style buildings, 35 of which were still in existence 100 years later. Along with the necessary personnel quarters, there was a 10-bed hospital, a jail, and even a bakery. Yellowstone archivist Ann Foster dug up Assistant Superintendent George L. Henderson's description of the just-past holiday from a January 1900 edition of the Livingston Post. It's also a story of a happy telegram giving good word to the wife of Colonel Wilbur Elliott Wilder, a Congressional Medal of Honor winner, about his safety. Here's Abigail Treby
1: The ladies of Fort Yellowstone united in making Christmas a joyful occasion for the Sunday school children. The Christmas tree was brilliantly illuminated and bore an abundance of that fruit which children most desire. Captain Brown made one of the jolliest saints that ever distributed dolls to the outstretched arms of baby mothers so eager to kiss and embrace them. The boys were in rapture over their horns, tin horses, soldiers, and locomotives. All were sweetened up to the highest degree. When the tree was cleared of its fruit, the jolly saint informed his patrons that there were millions more expecting to see him that night, and that he must bid them farewell. "'Have you far to go?' inquired a sweet little girl, in a voice that indicated both affection and pity for the good, hard-working saint. This child's motherly-like curiosity and sympathy brought the house down with laughter and applause alike from citizen and soldier. The saint soon vanished, surrounded by a halo of glory in the minds of the children, and that there were no mere illusions was evident from the fact that arms and pockets were full of dolls, candies, and many other good things. Mrs. W. E. Wilder, although suffering from a sprained ankle, was present and furnished the music to which the schoolchildren marched and sang in joyful concert. Mrs. Wilder is very much loved and respected by the children. That night she looked radiant, having had a telegram from Colonel Wilder that he was alive and well at Manila.
0: Two decades later, the roaring 20s had hit the cities of the east, but Fort Yellowstone was still as old-fashioned as it gets. A Christmas emergency was coming but three six-year-olds came to the rescue. This heartwarming story comes from Jackie Gerla, Yellowstone librarian.
1: Don Fraser, Bud Tishman. And Spencer Dupree were first graders at the Mammoth Hot Springs School. Lessons for the 17 students at Fort Yellowstone were held in the old army canteen and went from first grade to eighth grade. Their teacher was Mrs. Ellen Marriott, an accredited teacher whose salary was paid by the government. Books and materials had to be purchased by the students parents. Don Fraser's dad, Jay Fraser, was the assistant chief mechanic in the park. After a shopping trip to nearby Livingston, Montana, little Don laid eyes on a battleship in a store window that was made from an erector set. He really wanted it for Christmas, and his mom suggested that he write to Santa. But Frazier's father, Jay, foresaw a problem with Santa's arrival. You know, Old Man Pond closes the park gate every night at 9 o'clock, and nobody leaves or gets into Yellowstone until morning, he told his son. Don never dreamt it possible that Santa would be barricaded from Yellowstone. With visions of the erector set battleship slipping away when Santa had to bypass Yellowstone, Don got with his friends Bud and Spencer to figure out what to do. Bud's father was Harry Trishman, assistant chief ranger, and the boys thought that surely he could order the entrance gate to stay open on Christmas. But Harry had to explain to the boys that this matter was out of a ranger's hand, and only Superintendent Horace Albright could change it. If the boys wanted the gate open, they would have to talk with Superintendent Albright. Lucky for the boys, Raymond Edmonds, the superintendent's personal secretary, was a friend of the Fraser family. They reticently went to talk to him, despite being told by their parents to never bother the superintendent and stay out of his yard and not play around his house. Off they went and presented their case to Edmonds, who listened to the six-year-old's requests, then disappeared into Superintendent Albright's office. When he came out, Edmonds told the boys the superintendent would see them. Mustering their courage, the boys managed to express their concerns about the entrance gate being closed to Santa and then waited to hear the superintendent's response. I'll give you some news, boys, said Albright. We may be able to do something, but I don't make or break the rules of Yellowstone National Park. We can, however, make a request to the Department of the Interior, if you boys will sign it." The boys agreed. Margaret Lindsley, the postmaster's wife, was sent for, and Superintendent Albright dictated a letter requesting the entrance to Yellowstone be left open on Christmas Eve for Santa Claus. The boys signed the letter. About two weeks went by before schoolteacher Mrs. Marriott announced that the boys were to report to Superintendent Albright's office after school. Normally, they would have been scared, but this time they knew what it was about. When they arrived, Albright had in hand an official Department of Interior order declaring the gates of Yellowstone National Park were to remain open on Christmas Eve. And not just for that year, but each Christmas Eve from then on. The letter was framed and hung on Mr. Albright's office for the rest of his tenure. Accompanying the correspondence was a check for $200. Proceeds of a collection taken among the staff of the Department of the Interior. The money was to be used to purchase Christmas presents for every child on the post. The contribution did that and more. A community celebration was held with nearly all the families in Mammoth Hot Springs participating. School students produced and performed a Christmas play in the canteen, The spirit of the season was alive and well in Mammoth Hot Springs that 1921 Christmas. On Christmas morning, an erector-set battleship, glowing in all its battery-powered splendor, graced the mantle in the Fraser home. Every kid on the post came over to play with it, and it was christened Battleship Yellowstone. Today, people can enter or leave Yellowstone at any hour of the day. But for nearly four decades after 1921, the policy of locking up at night remained in effect. Officially, the gates stood open only one night a year on Christmas Eve to accommodate that expected arrival of a very special tourist.
0: It's unfortunate that at the time, the flying abilities of Santa's reindeer had yet to be documented. Visitor centers at Mammoth Hot Springs and Old Faithful are open on Christmas Day and throughout the holiday season. Two Christmas Eve candlelight services are held every year in the Mammoth Chapel, which was built in 1913 for the Army soldiers and their families. The candlelight services are one of the oldest annual traditions in the park as is the giant evergreen lit for the holidays on Officer's Row. The Old Faithful Inn is closed this time of year, but the Old Faithful Snow Lodge opens around mid-December. The snow lodge and cabins in the entire Old Faithful area are only accessible by commercially operated over-snow vehicles in the winter. Here you can enjoy a special Christmas dinner on December 25th and sing holiday carols with live piano music. The Yellowstone Forever Institute offers a holiday retreat each year at the Lamar Buffalo Ranch. Spend Christmas relaxing with kindred spirits, searching for wildlife such as wolves, elk, and bison, and taking snowshoe rambles through the snowy wonderland that is the Lamar Valley. To celebrate the new year, employees and guests at Old Faithful head out to the geyser viewing area shortly after midnight to be among the few to share the first eruption of the new year. If several feet of snow isn't your thing, concessionaire employees at Yellowstone celebrate Christmas in August every year to close out the busy season. The decades-old tradition has unknown origins, but every hotel in the park is decorated with holiday trees in the lobbies and cookies are passed out to visitors on August 25th, which happens to be the birthday of the National Park Service. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, and narrated by Abigail Trebu. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. We'll link to all of our social media, as well as National Park Service resources, music credits, and more in the show notes at nationalparkpodcast.com. If you're interested in RV travel, give us a listen over at the RV Miles Podcast. You can also follow Abigail and I as we travel the country in our converted school bus with our three boys at ourwanderingfamily.com.
1: This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters This land was made for you and me
0: Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit llbean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks.